So we're, we're uh, in the middle uh, of uh, Just Lead, and we've been looking at the life of David uh, in this study and uh, looking at the people of Israel and their relationship with their soon-to-be king. He's going to actually get anointed today in, in the part of the story we're going to read. And if you go all the way back in the, in the people of Israel, uh, they, God had actually told them they didn't need a king. God had actually instructed the people that he would be their guide, that he would be their Lord, that, that they could just basically trust him. But the people looked around uh, at all the other nations that had kings, and they said, no, we want a king like them. I don't know, none of you guys can probably relate to that. You've probably never looked around at others and compared yourself and said, no, I want that. All right, none of us can relate to that. But so they didn't listen to God. They just wanted to do what everyone else was doing. And so finally God uh, gives in and he says, okay, I'll give you a king. And they, 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 they wanted a king after their own hearts, in, in man's eyes. They didn't want a king after God's heart. And so once again, they rushed into it. And we, we can't relate to that. You've probably never rushed into anything in your life either. You're probably, you know, when you drive around town, you're probably one of those people that plays it safe all the time and is very careful. You never rush in your life, but they rushed and they got a king who wasn't after God's heart, and they started suffering the consequences for it as a people. And so God tells them, you know what? I'm going to give you a king after my heart. I'm going to give you a king uh, that's going to lead you to me, that's going to lead you well. And uh, he brings a prophet alongside David as a young man. He was probably about 15, 16 years old. He was a teenager. You can imagine that. And he's told at 15 or 16, you're going to be king of this nation, okay? And he hears this, and he's getting to know who God is. A God who fulfills his promises. But you can imagine at such a young age, he's still learning who this God is. And it's, the Bible tells us that when he's told that he's going to be king, that God's spirit came over him. So he had the Holy Spirit in him. And so immediately... After hearing that he's going to become king, one of the next big things that happens in his life, here's some of the playlist of what happens in David's life early on. He defeats Goliath, and so he represents the people well, and he's this champion just as a kid, just as full of courage and faith in the Holy Spirit, and he stands up for his people. And then after he defeats Goliath, the current king tries to have him killed, and so now he's running for his life. And he has the opportunity later on in this cave in Engedi, where uh, it's this weird story in the Bible where, where the king wanders in and David just happens to be there already. And God basically gives an opportunity in front of David to take the current king out who's trying to kill him. But he trusts God and he doesn't and he waits. And so he leaves uh, King Saul alone. And then David's going to have more victories. He's going to defeat more enemies of God's people and eventually, the current king, Saul, and Jonathan, they're going to die. And what we heard last week is when they die, he doesn't, you know, celebrate and go, okay, it's finally here. I finally, I finally got my driver's license. I'm finally king. No, he mourns the death of the leaders of the nation. Even though they hadn't led the people well, he handles this transition well. And he shows them honor and he shows them respect and he mourns their death. And then he's going to become anointed at that moment he becomes anointed king of part of the people he doesn't even become king right away once he becomes king this is 15 years later he becomes king of the southern part of the nation the area the tribe of judah 
and there becomes all this political tension that starts to happen where Saul's former general Abner starts fighting with some of David's generals and slowly God's just working everything out in David's favor and more people die and once again these are people that were fighting against David and he doesn't celebrate their death he mourns their death and it's going to bring us to what we're going to look at today where God's finally going to basically put David in a position where he's king over the whole nation. The promise that God had for him, the purpose that God had for him is going to come into effect. And I want to point out something about this promise. It's coming from a God who keeps his promises. I want to just give a little playlist of some of God's greatest hits in this, in, 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 in that we go even before this story unfolds. If you remember in the beginning of the Bible, God tells Abram that he was going to bless him and make a great nation out of him. And he does. And he tells the people in Exodus that he's going to lead them out of Egypt. And he does. And as the book goes into Leviticus and Numbers, he tells the people he's going to make them holy and he's going to give them peace. And he does. And so David has this whole time of waiting from when he's told that God's going to bring about this promise in his life, this purpose in his life. And he can wait with confidence based on who God is. So what about us this morning? Before we open this passage together, I want to ask you, what are you waiting on with God in your life right now? Maybe it's a child, been wanting to have a child and you're just waiting on God's timing, you haven't been able to conceive yet. Maybe it's something in your job, some sort of promotion or shift or change. Maybe it's something with family members, some discord in the family. I don't know right now what's hard for you to wait on, but I guarantee you every single one of us has something as we stepped in here today that is hard for us to be patient about. It's hard for us to wait on. And God has made every single one of us like David with a very significant purpose and plan for our lives and how he wants to use us in our families and our workplaces even here as his church as his body and so we're going to see as we open up this passage we're going to see we're going to see four ways that God acts four what's if you will how God acts on David's behalf as he makes him king we're going to see God's uh, promise come true we're going to see God's presence in David's life we're going to see God's provision in David's life, and we're going to see God's protection. And as we go through this story, we're then going to look back, and we're going to see how these things apply to us today and the things that we're waiting on God for. So if you would, pray with me, and we'll jump into today's passage. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to open your word. And I pray this morning, as you are always faithful to do, that your spirit would just speak to us, that it would guide us, that it would teach us and instruct us. Father, I pray for anyone that's their first time in here in church today, God, that you would meet them in a unique way, that they would see you through your word. Father, we just give this time up to you, Father, and we pray that 
it would be yours to work in our lives and teach us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 5. You can turn there in your Bible. I'm also going to have the verses on the screen behind me. And inside your worship guide that you were handed when you came in, there's some notes. And you can uh, follow along in there. You pull out some notes that are in there. It actually uh, tells you in there the page number as well. Uh, in, in, in case you want to follow along in your own Bible and you didn't bring one, there's some Bibles right in front of you and the chairs in front of you. And this is going to be on page 257. So you can turn there and follow along there as well. And um, we'll get started at this passage. And what I'm going to do as we work our way through this, uh, the verses is I'm going to give the truths or the points that we see in them first. And if you want to write those down and follow along, you can, or you can just listen. And then we're going to read the story, and we're going to see how those things are coming true in the story. So the first point that we're going to see in this passage is that David is established as king as the people acknowledge David's faithfulness, recognize God's promise, and the leaders affirm him. David's going to be established as the king, as the people around him acknowledge his faithfulness, recognize God's promise, and the leaders affirm him. So let's read the story here. Chapter 5, verse 1, David is anointed as king of Israel. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be my shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Now David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned, Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. So that last part there is explaining what I was going over in the beginning, that when 15 years later, when he was 30, his, uh, David became king of Judah, the southern part of Israel. But he had to wait another seven years until he was 37, until he became king over all of Israel. So this last part is just kind of telling us the whole story that he started when he was 30, and then later on, he, he, the whole nation came under him. And t in total, he ruled 40 years over everyone. And you can see there in verse 2, in the second uh, sentence there, it says, In times past, Saul was king over us, but the people said to David, they said, It was you who led us out and brought in Israel. So the first thing that you see as God's fulfilling his promise to David is that the people recognized who David was. They recognized he was faithful in the things that God had given him to do. He was faithful and courageous to step up and defeat Goliath. He was faithful and courageous to defeat enemies that came their way. And we're going to see this later on as we look in our own lives with this. But that same pressure and that same temptation comes to us because we want things right away. We want things quickly. And even, I know this is true of many of you, there's things in your life right now you probably have been patient for and have kept striving for. 
And yet we get to a point where we're like, God, when is this going to happen? It's Valentine's Day coming up, and I've been single for almost as long as David had to wait to be king. Like, <laughs> when's it going to happen, Lord? Like, you know, like, I mean, come on, right? And, and we just want to finally give up on certain things because God's not delivering them on our timeline. And yet God always has a better plan for us than our timeline. God is always, according to Romans, working all things out for our good. So we need to have that faith and patience to keep our character, to keep our cool, to keep our composure, to be faithful to the things that God's leading us to do in the small ways, just like David was. So the first thing is that the people recognize this guy is already stepping towards God. He's already being faithful. And then later on in that same sentence, it goes on and says, and, and the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people in Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. See, the people also knew what the prophets had told about David, what Samuel had said of David. And so the same thing is true in our own lives. Uh, a lot of times we want something to happen, and we have desires that God's put in our heart. And in fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that God wants to give us the desires of our heart. God actually wants us to be pumped and delighted in him, that our greatest satisfaction and joy would be in God and not anything else. That all the things that happen in our life, they're basically just a development of, of what God's already bringing about in our heart, and, and he just makes things happen, and he pleases us, and, and, and we get to delight in him instead of us trying to go and pursue things on our own, okay? And so David had been promised and told to the people that he's going to be the king and the people knew God's word. And so they finally acknowledged it. And so the key for us is a lot of times we want these promises, we want things to happen, but we're not really grounded in God's word. And I've heard this expression oftentimes said in, in church, and sometimes it just sounds weird when we say it, but preach the gospel to ourselves. But it really is true that it makes a difference in our lives if we start our day and we give time to our week to be in God's word. To, to, to actually see it for ourselves and write down the promises, the truth of God. And so that's what the people did. They acknowledged what God had said. They accepted it. And then the last thing there was leaders came alongside and they affirmed David. They said there, all the elders came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord, and they anointed him king over Israel. 22, later, 22 years later, he finally is affirmed by all the leaders and made king. 22 years later. Think about some of the affirmations that maybe you would like in your life right now. From small things that you do in your family I don't, I don't know, I'm trying to see if I see some youth in here, but like you finally cleaned your room and you're like, mom, you didn't even notice. Like, like wow, no affirmation here. Or you're, you're doing the right things at, in your workplace. You're, you're going the extra mile and nobody notices. Or, or, I mean, not to beat up on you ladies, but as husbands, we're trying. Like we put our best foot forward and our wife's like, really? Like, we're like, oh, <laughs> sorry, that's all I got. Like, I, you know, I, I thought that was pretty awesome, right? And, and we're like, okay. But we, maybe we don't get acknowledged. And you notice in this passage that David was in waiting for a long time. 
for that to happen. And he had a courageous faith to wait and keep pressing towards the things that are right. Here's the second point. Our second point in this passage we're going to see in the next little bit we read is that David is victorious as king because God is with him. Not only does God have a promise for David, but God also has his presence. God also gives him his presence and God is with him. Let's read here in verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. So David's been named king, but he wants a place for his people, and Jerusalem was that place, and there was a wall. There was, it was hard to invade Jerusalem. Jerusalem is surrounded by hills. The Bible talks about uh, the Mount of Olives and the Mount around Jerusalem. Well, in Hebrew, the, the term Mount, we think of it in English as singular. It's actually plural. It means many hills. And so this area of Jerusalem is surrounded, and there was this wall that was a defense. And so the, the king there from the Jebusites, which is the Canaanites, the people that were against God's people, he's basically looking at David, and he's saying, look, you could bring your B team, the lame and the, the, the lame uh, and the blind, you know, would be able to defend you. My, my army doesn't even need eyes to be able to see to defend you because there's no way that you're going to get in here, okay? But let's keep reading, thinking... David cannot come in here. Verse 7, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, and David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is, they had become enemies of God. Therefore it is, the blind and the lame shall not come in to this house and David lived in the stronghold and called it to the city, called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And listen to this last verse. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. It reminds me of Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God in men because he was God and the spirit was with him or what what God tells us in Matthew 28 where he tells us go out and teach others everything that I've taught you and know that as you are stepping out in faith and courage that I am with you church just like with David today God wants to be with us in all things that we do and if we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our savior his spirit is in us and we have the opportunity to follow him or to kind of mute him, if you will, and try to go by our own strength. And God, you see this favor that David has because he's led by, by God's presence, by his spirit. Here's the next thing you're going to see. The third point, God confirms David and provides for him. Provision, God gives him provision. God confirms David as the king, and he provides for him as well. Verse 11 says, And Hiram, king of Tyre. Now, just a little background there. Jerusalem is a, is a uh, Israel is a very small country. It's, it's about the size of New Jersey. As Texans, we don't even know what to do with this. It's like, it's like the size of San Antonio, okay? It's a very small area. And Jerusalem is, is towards the middle and in the north. And there was water that runs all along the west coast, along the Mediterranean there. 
And up at the north end, there is uh, this little village at the top where the Phoenicians lived that was along the water coast, this, this city of Tyre. And they were very, very wealthy because it would have been like a New York or a San Francisco today where there was a lot of import-export on the sea, okay? And so this is who this king is and where he's from. It's a very, very wealthy city. So, and Hiram, king, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron and more sons and daughters were born to David and these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Here you go. Ready? This is your top 10 graduating class list. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhiah, Elishama, Elida, and Eliphet. If you guys are looking for some baby names for your children, here's a, here's a fresh list. I, I think very few of these are taken. There, there's a wide open list for you there, right? But let's, let's unpack a couple things that are happening in this part of the story. Okay. In Jerusalem, in the area where David was living, there was not a lot of wood, okay? And here's this rich city to the north that had all these goods from around the world. David's stepping in as a new leader over all the people, and there had been turmoil. You know, this is something new and different for everyone. And watch how God comes alongside David and provides for him and sends wood and builds him a house and it just confirms to him that God wants him in this spot as king. God has this amazing way. He doesn't even work for it. It just gets sent to him. Okay, so God in the right time and the right way provides for his will in David's life. Now, we also have to address this kind of weird little sentence in here where it says, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. Some people are like, oh, I guess that polygamy thing is in the Bible. I, I don't know what to do with that. Well, actually, if you go back, God had given instructions for the people of Israel and for the king, and he said it really clearly in Deuteronomy 17, 17. The king, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. So clearly, even though this is stories telling us what David's doing, David wasn't perfect, and he didn't do everything right. And it was a very cultural thing at the time to take on many wives like that. And so he followed the culture of his day, and he didn't follow God's commands from Deuteronomy. And we're actually going to see later on in the story that a lot of the pain and downfall that David experiences, and it even gets passed on to the nation, and turmoil that even lives into the next generation— happens because David isn't obedient in this area. And so uh, on one part, we need to recognize that this is just telling us what happened. It's not saying what's right. And so then the second part, there's some encouragement to it to see that uh, David didn't do everything perfectly, and yet God worked in him and through him. And we're the same. We don't, we're not going to get it all right. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I blow it, when I mess up, I need to go right back to God and accept 
what he's already done for me. I already have his forgiveness, but I, I need to just accept the fact that I don't have to beat myself up or carry guilt or shame. I can confess that sin right to God and ask him to step into my life. And, and even, you know, I, I've prayed and, and we can pray. You know, I know the actions I had, they might hurt other people. God, would you, you know, would you step into this situation? I don't want others to be hurt because of my sin. Now, it doesn't mean there's not consequences to sin, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, when we don't get it right and we're not perfect, there's always hope for every situation. Now, here's the last point. David prays and he experiences God's protection. The last thing we see in this passage is David prays and he also experiences God's protection. So follow along in verses 17 through 25 here. David defeats the Philistines. Verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And, catch this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And so David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and catch this as well David and his men carried them away, they carried the idols away. And the Philistines came up yet again, and they spread out in the valley again of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, go around to their rear, and come against them opposite the balsam trees. Apparently there was a couple trees there. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for, the, for then the Lord had gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. That was the first Gezer right there in the Bible. <laughs> but you see that God, you see that God steps in and he protects him. Now he, his, his nation, his people, his place is being threatened. And David stays close to God. He doesn't freak out. And God ends up stepping in and protecting him. So you see that he prayed and you see that he, he sought to, to purify the land around him. So I want to go through a couple things that we can apply from this. I, I have five ways that, that just listening to the life of David, there's some things we can apply in our own life. One, uh, and it, just, just listen and see what God says to you this morning, what he's wanting to, to teach you. Or if you want to jot these down in your notes, you can. But one is remember God's promise and act in faith. Remember God's promise and act in faith. God is true to do what he says he's going to do. God is a good God. And when we start with him and we put this as our foundation, we put Jesus as our foundation, God is going to step into our lives. What's been your mindset recently in the people around you? See, God David's, David believed God's promises, and he was faithful. He was faithful in the small things. And see, because of what God's done for us, 
we don't have to focus on ourselves because we know that God is going to give us, has given us his presence and he's going to provide for us and he's going to protect us. So we can take our eyes off of ourselves because we know God is going to come through for us as we seek him, as we depend upon him. What's been your mindset recently to those around you? Is it one of fear and self-focus because you're not sure what's going to happen? And maybe just forgetting the promises and the goodness of God. Or is it one that's been able to allow you to focus on others around you? In your family, at home, at work, at school, are you stepping into those relationships around you seeking to serve them? Or are you asking how people are serving you? Maybe getting a little grumpy thinking, hey, I deserve a little better. And yet God wants to bless us. He wants to provide for you. And he wants our eyes to be so content and so blessed by him that we're servants in our workplaces. We're servants at our school. We're servants at home in the little things. I know for me, it's just Christina appreciates it when, when I step up and I, I notice that there's a lot of dishes. And I get back there and I protect her hands, you know, from, from cracking out on all those dishes. And I, I do little things. What are little ways at work, little ways at your school, little ways at home that maybe somebody's not counting on you, but you can just step into and be a servant? Another way that we can apply what we see in this passage is to affirm others. Recently, I was with a group of believers meeting for some studies in Austin, and somebody came up to me and just affirmed something they saw in me that weekend. And at first, uh, it was a little awkward because we were just not used to that, people coming up and sharing something they see in us. Uh, and I listened to them, and, and they just acknowledged the way that God had used me that, that weekend. And it was encouraging to hear that, that God did do that. But the, it kind of took me off guard, and it got me thinking, how often are we doing that for other people in our family or in our church or in our workplace, in our school? Are we looking for those opportunities, especially to affirm the significance or the purpose that someone has in our workplace or in our family? Just acknowledging the gifts that God's given them, the role that God's given them, and affirming someone. It does a world to somebody else when we come alongside and we affirm them. Another thing is we should focus on Christ, not perfection. David didn't get it all right. When we try to be perfect, we prevent progress. I think I've been thinking this week about the building. You know, we've been growing and growing as a church and we've been saving and giving towards a new building and we've got the pictures outside of the building that we're working towards and, and we're saving up for this and we're saying, God, we wanna make space for other people as a church. I've been part of this church since, since I was five, since Sunday school. And I remember it started in a home and then it went to a little bit of a bigger home. And then we got a, what we thought at the time, a really nice building. And then that building was a little too much. The church went through some hard times and, and we moved into a not so nice building. I remember there was like barbed wire fence around it. And it was like, wow, I don't know if anyone's gonna wanna come to this church. Uh, and then by faith, this building was built people gave and they served and, and it's been a great home for us for so many years now and now we're at this point where God's 
brought us to a place in this journey where he's still growing us and making room for others and it's a pretty full church. And it may not happen perfectly the way we have on our timeline and our plan. And see, God doesn't want our focus to be on the building. God wants our focus to be on our family, on those we love, on our coworkers, on your classmates. And God wants to, he's got people right now in your life that he's going ahead of you and he's calling to himself. And all we have to do is have that step of faith and courage to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto God and what he's doing and invite people. And we'll figure out a way as a church. We'll make room. God will provide. The building's not the issue. Per perfection prevents progress. We just got to step towards the will of God in our life. Same in your life. Whatever things are happening right now, it doesn't have to be perfect right away. You just got to step towards it. Next one is, is like, David, we need to pray for his provision and protection. Remember that everything we have comes from God. Sometimes we focus on on thinking we have too little or, or feel like we don't know what to do with all that God has given us. But everything we have, our time, our talent, our treasure, it all belongs to God. And we need to every morning, day by day, offer it up to Him. And then lastly, God wants us to be pure. You notice they got rid of the idols in the land when they stepped into the new place they were going to live. God wants to be setting us apart. If there's things that pull you away from Jesus, you got to step away from those things. You can't let them have your heart and your attention. And they're there. There's, there's the, the temptation that comes our way, but God says that he'll make a way out of it. And he wants us to keep putting our faith in him daily as our provider and our Lord. Here's what we see in this story, church. God had a purpose and a plan for David and yet he had to wait all this time for it. Now, I don't think God's purpose or plan is for us to be a king or a queen. I know we like to call each other sometimes, our, our affectionately, our loved ones, like that's my queen and that's my king. And there's not really a whole lot of kings and queens in Laredo, okay? And there's, there's not really a whole lot of thrones that are up for grabs. I mean, we can have fun with our loved ones and, and call them a queen or a king. But God certainly has a kingdom that he's building in the world around us, something so much bigger than temporary earthly matters. And he's given every single one of us significant purpose and plan in your family, in your workplace, everywhere that we step into throughout our day. And it may not all fall into place overnight and be the way you'd like it to look overnight, but we can have faith that Jesus came through on the cross for us in our salvation. He knew for his childhood until the moment that he died for us, this is what he was gonna give his life for. And he waited day by day for God. So I don't know what the things that you're waiting on today are. I don't know what they are, but I know this. God doesn't want us to leave here numb. Just saying, ah, oh, it's just gonna be another week, the same as last week but he wants us to have a fresh eye towards this week to know that God wants to bring about promises in your life and he wants you to be patient for them to come about and trust him. Would you pray with me?